The nation of Israel at that time, in the day of Isaiah, they were facing impending death. At a time when the Lord had called his people to repentance, he called them to weeping, for mourning, for baldness, for sackcloth. Israel partied like it was the end of the world. Therefore, God said they would find no atonement from the Lord. I fear personally that the United States is in a similar place because it has not heeded God's call to repentance through weeping, through mourning, through baldness, through sackcloth. In fact, there are many who are partying as if it is the end of the world. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. So today we are picking up in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 27 through 49. As I said, it's a very long chapter, but... I'm only leaving us nine verses to conclude with next week, but what wonderful nine verses that we are going to be looking at next week in talking about the Lord's second coming and the rapture of the church and Jesus' victory over death. So we're going to hold that off until next week, and we have quite a bit to actually cover this week. Looking at verses 27 through 49, we pick up here with Paul continuing to speak about the authority of Christ, the truth of the resurrection, while calling the church of Jesus Christ to awake to righteousness. So today, the title of the message, Awake to Righteousness, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 27 through 49, we're going to have three points. Normally, I don't know how it works out when I study. I realize that I often, my first point is really big, and then they get shorter as they go on, maybe because I'm running out of time, and you're writing your your term paper that you got to turn in, and you get real good points in the beginning, and kind of throw it all together at the end. Today, it's totally reverse. Point one is very short, but two and three begin to get longer and longer. But we're going to see the sermon, Awake to Righteousness, Our first point, verses 27 and 28, at the feet of Jesus. Our second point, 29 through 34, for the glory of Jesus. And the third point, 35 through 49, in the image of Jesus. And so we begin verses 27 and 28. 
at the feet of Jesus. I'm going to read those two verses and open us in prayer. And the word of God tells us, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Father, I pray for your blessing to be upon us as we look into your word today. Lord, this portion of scripture, Paul challenges the church in Corinth to awake to righteousness, basically saying because people still do not know Jesus as their savior. And Lord, that challenge can be made to us today, that we, Lord, as your church, would once again awake to righteousness because people need to know Jesus. So help us, Lord, to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, to this church, this day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last week, we closed by looking at Christ, our champion, where I had said last week, right now, we are living in a time of grace. Yet one day, Jesus will put an end to all earthly rule, authority, and power. On that day, when Jesus delivers the kingdom of God to his Father, all enemies will be put under his feet, under the feet of Jesus. This means that Jesus will have authority over everything and everyone, and the last enemy to be destroyed by Jesus will be death mankind's greatest enemy. Well, here we learn in verses 27 through 28, really picking up on that as Paul reiterates all the things that must be put underneath Jesus's feet. Although Jesus will put all things under his feet, including death, Paul points out that God the Father is excluded from this, that God will not be under the feet of Jesus. And so perhaps since there's a lot of personal pronouns flying around in these two verses, maybe it would help us to understand this if I replace the personal pronouns with the names that they represent. Reading again verses 27 and 28, but instead of having the personal pronouns, inserting the names they represent. For God has put all things under Jesus's feet. But when God says all things are under Jesus, It is evident that God, who put all things under Jesus, is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to Jesus, then the Son himself, Jesus, will also be subject to God, who put all things under Jesus, that God may be all in all. Still pretty tricky. I liked one of the commentators, and this comes from Believer's Bible Commentary, but he just wrote down here, Uh, quoted. He didn't even give us a reference of where he got this from. So it came from somewhere. It wasn't original with William MacDonald. But I really like the thought of this paragraph. I put a portion of it in your bulletin. It says, after Jesus brought everything into subjection, Jesus will hand the kingdom back to the Father. Creation will be brought back to God in a perfect condition having accomplished the work of redemption and restoration for which Jesus became a man, Jesus will retain the subordinate place 
that he took at incarnation. If Jesus should cease to be man after having brought to pass all that God purposed and designated, the very link that brings God and man together would be gone. I put that last portion in your bulletin. If Jesus should cease to be. And the Bible tells us that uh, there in heaven, there at the resurrection, they saw the scars of Jesus. He retained the scars, though he was in a different form in his resurrected body. He still had the nail prints in his hands, in his feet, in his side. A reminder of the price that Jesus paid for our sins. And I think it will be an eternal reminder. If Jesus should cease to be man after having brought to pass all that God purposed and designated, the very link that brings God and man together would be gone. Jesus said in John 14, 28, You have heard me say to you that I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Even Jesus Christ will be subordinate to the Father. He's always been here, Jesus testifying of that in John 14, 28, saying, for my Father is greater than I. And Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on the earth. And the authority given to Jesus by his Father came because of his total obedience to his Father, as seen through his death, burial, and resurrection from the grave. In John 10, verses 17 and 18, it tells us, Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Moreover, just as Jesus is subject to his Father, so too is the church subject to Jesus. In Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of his Father God. When Paul says that God may be all in all, it looks forward to the conclusion of God's redemptive plan for the world that he created. On that day, when God becomes all in all, it speaks about that time when, along with the whole universe, Jesus will present to his Father those whom he has redeemed by his own blood. Jesus will present the church. He'll present you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. One day, the world and all that is in it the universe and all that it contains will come under the feet and the authority of Jesus Christ. And it's for the glory of Jesus. Verses 29 through 34. Again, reading the context for us. Picking up in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 29, it says, Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm that by boasting in you, 
which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If, in the manner of men, I have fought the beast at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And so now we're looking at verses 29 through 34 for the glory of Jesus. And we begin in verse 29 with a very difficult verse. Speaking about those who are baptized for the dead. And we find that even a segment of the church practiced this. Cults practiced this. And actually, Paul is coming back to an argument that began in verse 12 against those who did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. So there were those within the church at Corinth that did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And Paul is basically saying, if there is no resurrection, then why bother? Why bother with the church? Why worship Jesus if the dead does not rise? And so verse 29, we find this strange verse concerning those who are baptized for the dead that has no scriptural support anywhere else in scripture. So we have this one verse dropped into the Bible. But I do not believe that Paul is teaching that it is possible for us to be baptized for someone who has already died. For the Bible is clear that every person must decide where he or she stands while living upon this earth by either accepting or rejecting Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.27 tells us, As it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. Not that you live and die twice. It's appointed for men in the flesh to die once. After that, the judgment. One Bible commentator said of verse 29 that there have been over 200 explanations of verse 29, and all of them have problems. So I'm not going to solve this for you today. But here's something that I had heard many years ago. Maybe it was from Pastor Chuck. I'm not quite sure who I heard it from, but look at the pronouns that are being used. There in verse 29, we find that they use uh, plural pronouns, first person plural, they. What will they do who are baptized for the dead? Paul did not say, what will we do who are baptized for the dead? So Paul may have simply been acknowledging that they, whoever they were, had a practice of baptizing for the dead, perhaps something that was very familiar to the church there in Corinth. His point, if the dead do not rise, these baptisms then were pointless. And he goes on in verses 30 through 32, and he switches the personal pronouns now, not to plural, but to singular. And uh, plural in a sense saying we or I, so no longer talking about they, third person, talking about uh, first person, we or I, in contrast to the false teachers who baptized for the dead in their belief that the dead could rise, Paul now uses the first person plural and first person singular pronouns to emphasize his ministry 
and the ministry team that was along with him, their belief in the resurrection of the dead. He said, if there was no resurrection, Paul asked, then why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? And he adds to this saying, why do I then die daily? Why did I fight with the beast of Ephesus? And it wasn't a literal beast, but he had a great conflict there in Ephesus, in the city of Ephesus, as Demetrius the silversmith uh, came against the church at that time. And I believe that's what he's referring to with the beast at Ephesus. Why would they have done these things if the dead do not rise? For their very actions testified to their belief that the dead do rise. Jesus said to Martha in John eleven twenty five and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And the answer to Jesus' question that he first asked of Martha will determine how we conduct ourselves in this life. For if we do not believe they rise, we might as well eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. But if we do believe that they rise, then like Paul, his ministry team, we will live for Christ in light of our coming resurrection, that Jesus is coming again. In Matthew 16, 24 and 25, it tells us, Jesus speaking to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I would mentioned last week of the Corinthians Epicurean philosophy that was taught, not by the church, but there in Corinth. And Epicurean philosophy thought that since there is no eternity, therefore man should eat and drink and be merry on the earth. And so the phrase, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die, kind of sounds like Epicurean philosophy, except for it's actually a quote from Isaiah. And we find it there in Isaiah 22, verses 12 through 14, is the whole context that brings about this quote. I want to read it to you because I believe it's important. In that day, the Lord God of hosts called for weeping, for mourning, for baldness, for girding with sackcloth, but instead joy and gladness, slaying of oxen and killing of sheep, eating meat and drinking wine, saying, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And then it was revealed in my hearing by the Lord of hosts, surely for this iniquity, there will be no atonement for you. Even to your death, says the Lord God of hosts. The nation of Israel at that time, in the day of Isaiah, they were facing impending death. At a time when the Lord had called his people to repentance, he called them to weeping, for mourning, for baldness, for sackcloth. Israel partied like it was the end of the world. Therefore, God said they would find no atonement from the Lord. I fear personally that the United States is in a similar place because it has not heeded God's call to repentance through weeping, through mourning, through baldness, through sackcloth. In fact, there are many who are partying as if it is the end of the world. 
There's a pandemic. There's riots breaking out across our country. This is beyond any capability of our human leadership. We need to look to God for help. And I fear that this is actually the right thing that we should be doing. I fear that the reverse is true. I fear that in the United States, it's much like it was in Israel in the days of Isaiah with impending death coming toward them. Instead of heeding the call of repentance with weeping, mourning, baldness, and sackcloth, they were partying like it was the end of the world. And I believe that we need to heed that call of repentance in our nation if we're going to see God do a work. The Word of God promises in James 4, verses 8 through 10, to draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn. Weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. We are, as Paul calls us here, to awake to righteousness. First in verse 33, he said, Do not be deceived, for evil company corrupts good habits. It is a matter of how we live in this world. It matters. It truly matters. Everyone knows that if you hang out with evil or bad people, you're in danger of going down bad paths. But conversely, the reverse is true. If you fellowship with good people, you will find good paths as you journey through this life. Uh, The last two weeks, I've had more correspondence through Facebook and email and uh, messaging, but also physical contact with some of the Calvary Chapel leaders within the state of Illinois, some of the pastors and their wives and the leadership within their churches. Uh, Also, Calvary Chapel pastors from California, Pastor Mike McIntosh and Holland Davis and others that I have to tell you, when we met together just two Fridays ago, I was so encouraged. And then Saturday night at the 2020 Vision for the Heartland Crusade in Elk Grove, and when the worship was taking place, it took me right back to California. I felt like I was sitting out at Costa Mesa listening to some of the worship taking place there and just seeing the lifting of hands, the worshiping, and people being prayed for. It was healthy. And I realized this very same thing, that, you know, the reverse of verse 33, where Paul said, evil company corrupts good habits, the reverse is so true that good company, we align ourselves, and I'm not saying that our church isn't good company, but when we align ourselves with people who love Jesus, it feeds off of one another. We feed off of one another. We help people walk in the path of righteousness as the Lord has called us to do. Therefore, if evil company corrupts good habits, the reverse is definitely true that good company encourages good habits. We are to build one another up. Ephesians 4.29 reminds us to let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that you may impart grace to the hearers. And may we awake to righteousness, put off sin, 
that we might win others to Christ for the glory of Jesus. Father, we pray that you would be with our hearts today, Lord, that we would, as believers in Jesus Christ, desire, Lord, to be a people that would be willing to awake to righteousness. And I pray, Father, that you would just watch over these lowly bodies of ours, Lord Jesus. Watch over the physical needs that we may have, but also, Lord, those spiritual needs. I pray, Lord, if there's an individual that has been walking out of fellowship, I pray, Jesus, that if there's someone either listening on the radio, watching on Facebook, here in the fellowship, that do not yet know you as Savior, Lord, that they would this day come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that they would give their heart to you. I pray, Lord, that you would be with us now as we close in worship. I ask, Lord, that your spirit would be among us and that you would watch over us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.